We're going to read Ezra chapter 3, and then Matt is going to come and speak to us. If you're struggling to find Ezra in your Bibles, you'll find it sort of in the middle of the Old Testament, uh, Ezra, then Nehemiah. It's after Kings and Chronicles. And if you happen to be using a Bible, anything like the Church Bible, it's page 474. Let's read Ezra chapter 3 together. I'll read it to you. It's entitled, Rebuilding the Altar. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for the, all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters, and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and all who returned from captivity to, to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away.
Brilliant. Thanks, John. Um, do keep Ezra three in front of you. Kids, if you've got a sheet, um, that might help you to, to listen and follow along and to do some colouring in as well if you want to do that. So grab a sheet as well. Uh, make sure you can see Ezra chapter three uh, and let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who reveals yourself to us in your word. Father, thank you that you give us your spirit to help us understand and apply and to live uh, what you say to us. And so we pray that you would help us this morning uh, as we read this bit of your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know whether you're the kind of person that likes to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, apparently, 45% of Brits uh, every year come up with something or some things that they would like to do or change in the year ahead. Uh, you can probably guess what the top things are. Uh, do more exercise, lose more weight, save more money, spend less time on social media. Uh, those are some of the top resolutions that people make, and those are the resolutions that 80% of us would have broken by the end of this month. Uh, and whether you're a New Year's resolution kind of person or not, don't get me wrong, that they can be a good and helpful thing to start off the year. I'm sure some of us will beat the stats and still be going with the exercise regime by the summer. But as John has already helped us to think about, rather than resolutions this morning, I want us to think a bit about priorities. We're still in January, just about, and so at the start of a new and unpredictable year, what are your priorities? What are those big things that will go in the bucket first? What are the things that you want to focus on? What makes it to the top of your to-do list? For some of us, at the moment, our priority is getting through another week of homeschool. For others, it's the priority of getting outside once a day so we don't go crazy in our house. For others, it's maintaining connections with friends and family who we can't see at the moment. Whatever our situation, all of us will have priorities. All of us will have things that we want to ensure happen no matter what. And the same was true, as we've just read, for the people in Ezra. Like John said, if you were with us last week, we've begun this new series in the book of Ezra. And so far we've seen, haven't we, the, the people of God returning to their homeland. After years of oppression under wicked Babylon, the book begins with this new king, Cyrus of Persia. And Cyrus sends the Jews back to Jerusalem so they can rebuild their temple and worship their God. And we saw, didn't we, that though these events, they, they might seem like just another shift in world power, though it might appear to be just another policy from the latest king, chapter 1 reminded us that the Lord was behind it all. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus to send the people back. And the Lord moved the hearts of the people to return home. And so at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we see the people arriving back in Jerusalem. And as they begin to, to settle into the land, they need to decide what to do next. They need to work out what their priorities are going to be as they live in the land. With so much that they could do, what is it that they must do? 
And so the first thing that we need to see this morning is that the people return to the land with the right priorities. They return with the right priorities. Life in God's land is starting again, and there would have been so much for them to do as they arrived. Homes needed rebuilding, jobs needed restarting, communities needed reorganizing. There was plenty to do, and it's not long after they settle into their homes that they, they gather together again as the people. And at the start of chapter 3, we see what they gather for. Just look back at chapter 3, verse 1 again. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, and his associates began building the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Not long after they've unpacked their things, the people gather together as one in Jerusalem. And you see the first thing they do? The first thing they do is to rebuild the altar. Of all the things they could have done, this is what they choose to do first. Because for the people back then, the altar, well, that was at the heart of their relationship with God. The altar was the place of forgiveness. Five times in the chapter we're told that the people made burnt offerings to the Lord at the altar. And burnt offerings, well, they were specifically for the atonement of sin. They were the the daily reminders that the people, uh, their guilt needed dealing with. Their their guilt before God, it it couldn't be left alone. And the way to deal with it was through these burnt offerings, these sacrifices at the altar. Sacrifices to the Lord. And so the altar, it was a place of forgiveness, of restoration. Uh, But also in verse 5, we can see that it is a place of thanksgiving. The place where those who recognize God's abundant blessing and and goodness to them could come and demonstrate their thankfulness to him by making what's described in verse 5 as free will offerings. And so you see, this altar, this this really was the heart of the people's relationship with God. The place of forgiveness, the place of thanksgiving, the place of worship, where they showed that God and God alone was the one they lived for the one they worshipped. And so the altar, rebuilding it, was their priority. You can see that's the case again in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Just remember for a minute what the Jews have returned to. They've returned to a ruined city. A city with no walls, no army, no protection. They're sitting ducks to the surrounding nations. These people, they knew they they were vulnerable. They knew that they were under threat. But they also knew they could trust the Lord. Unlike their ancestors who ended up in exile, these people were not going to trust in chariots or city walls. Their security wasn't going to be in allies or in armies. No, they were determined to trust the Lord. He was their strength and their shield. He was the one who could move kings and nations. And so they knew they could depend on him. 
they could trust him for his protection. The people trusted the Lord's protection and they also trusted the Lord's provision. Verse 4, we're told they celebrated the festival of tabernacles. There are a number of key festivals in the Old Testament calendar, all designed to remind the people of particular things about their relationship with God. The festival of tabernacles was all about dependence. For seven days, they lived in these temporary shelters they had built. One week a year, they lived life in a tent. And the point was that it was to be this vivid reminder, this lived, experienced reminder that of the time when their ancestors had spent 40 years living in tents in the wilderness. Having been rescued from Egypt, God's people had to live in daily dependence upon the Lord. Dependence as they travelled through the desert to the promised land. And so here as they arrive back in Jerusalem as they begin life again, or they celebrate this festival as a reminder that they are utterly dependent on the Lord. They recognize that the only reason they are here is because of him. And so they can't do anything more without him. They depend on the Lord. And we also see they obey the Lord. I wonder if you notice that repeated idea through the chapter. The people do everything in accordance with what is written. It's there in verse 2 and verse 4, and then later on in verse 10. The people, as they come back, they're, they're determined to do God's work God's way. In fact, if you went back to, to 1 Kings chapter 5 and 6, you'd see that there are some striking similarities between the building of this temple and the first temple back in Solomon's day. Solomon built his temple with materials from Tyre and Sidon and he started building in the second month of the year. And so when we read here in verse 7 and 8, the people got their materials from Tyre and Sidon and they started building in the second month of the year, we can see that they're determined to get this right. They're going to leave nothing to chance. Verse 11, they even sing the same song that the people back then sang when the first temple was built. And so from materials to timings to songs, the people in Ezra wanted to do God's work in God's way. They were determined not to make the mistakes of their ancestors and instead to to obey God in everything. And so can you see how, how Ezra shows us God's people with the right priorities. They arrive back in the land and first and foremost, they know they need to be in right relationship with the Lord. It doesn't matter what else needs doing. It doesn't matter what pressures or threats they face. They know they need to come to God in repentance. They need to come to him and trust his mercy, his forgiveness for them. And they know they need to come to him in dependence, humbly recognizing their need for God's protection and provision as they live life in the land. And they know they need to live life in obedience, to live according to God's word, to be careful to obey him in everything. Those were their priorities. 
And the same is true for us today, isn't it? Our circumstances might be completely different, but our priorities as God's people are just the same. We've been seeing it on Sunday evenings in 1 Peter, that as God's chosen people, we have received forgiveness not through burnt offerings or animal sacrifices, but through the precious blood of Jesus. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He is the lamb without blemish, says Peter. And so it's because of him that that we can come to God in repentance and faith. We can come knowing that in him our sin is completely dealt with at the cross. It's because of Christ that we can come humbly and depend on God no matter what. It's in him that we have this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so whilst God doesn't promise to protect us from trials, he does promise to keep us through them. And then knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that that we're secure, well, Peter tells us to live life in obedience to God's word. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Can you see? God's priorities for God's people have not changed. Our priorities have not changed. And and so this week, there will be all sorts of things that we could do. There will be all sorts of things that we need to do. But Ezra 3 shows us what we must do. Above everything else, we must prioritize our relationship with God. We need to come to Jesus every single day, trusting his forgiveness, depending on his provision, and listening to his word. That's what I hope our our life group studies have been helping us to think about over these past few weeks. How can I prioritize and enjoy and experience my relationship with God more and more each day because that is what matters most and so that's what we see here the first thing that the people return to the land and they return with the right priorities the second thing we need to see is that they come with the right perspective the people return with the right perspective. They've, they've returned to the land. The, the altar is rebuilt. The sacrifices have started. The, the foundation of the temple begins to be laid. And in verse 10, we see how they respond. Just look at verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. The foundations are laid and the people praise. They praise the Lord. They they rejoice in all that God has done for them, all that God is doing for them, his promises kept, his blessings given. They praise, they rejoice. Uh, They rejoice, but 
But rejoicing isn't the only sound that's heard that day, is it? Verse 12, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. It's a remarkable scene, isn't it? This, this incredible noise. But mixed together is this sound of joy and, and at the same time a sound of sorrow. Some of the older people there, the ones who had seen Solomon's temple years before, wept. They wept as the foundations were laid. Why is that? What possible reason would they have to weep at such a a happy occasion? Well, it seems that that even as the foundations are laid, they they can tell that that this new temple, it, it won't be like the last one. It won't be as magnificent or as extravagant or as splendid as the one they can remember from the days of Solomon. And as I thought about this this week, I guess we know a little bit of what they felt like. We know a little bit because of our experience of church at the moment. That mixture of joy and sadness every time we meet. Joy as we gather together as God's people under God's word, as we should but sadness because, well, because we remember that this is not what it used to be and it's not what it ought to be. We know what they feel like a little bit, don't we? And so for the, the people of Ezra, as great as it was to be back in the temple again and, and rebuilding life together, it was, well, it was bittersweet for the older generation. It reminded them of the things they had lost. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't just the size and the, the splendor of Solomon's temple that made it so special. No, it was the fact that God's presence, his glory was there. As the first temple was completed and the, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, the glory of the Lord descended on the temple and it was filled with his presence. And so those really were the glory days. But this time, things were different. This time, there was no ark. And as we're going to see, no ark meant no glory. God's presence wouldn't fill this temple like it had done the first. And so whilst the people had plenty of reason to rejoice, some still wept. They wept because they they knew they hadn't returned to God, not fully. They knew this temple, it, it wasn't... It wasn't the real thing. This wasn't how they were going to experience God's presence in the way they they so deeply longed for. And they were right to feel like that. They were right because actually this is how God had designed it. You see, the temple, both, both old and new, well, they were only ever meant to be a taste, a glimpse of what was to come. They were a picture of something greater that God had in store for his people. And so even as the foundations of this building were laid, the people were left longing. Longing for something more. Longing for for something greater. 
And that longing, well, it, it would continue. It would, it would carry on until, until one day a preacher from Nazareth would come along and stand up in front of a crowd and say, well, I am the temple. I am the temple. I am the place where you can know and experience the presence of God. At the start of, of John's gospel, he writes this about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the word of God, made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. And so he is the place where we see and experience the glory of the Lord. He is the one who enables us to enjoy the presence of God. And then as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, it's as we come to Jesus and we're united to him by faith that, that we are built together as living stones in the temple of God. And so now we, the church, are the place where God dwells by his Spirit. Which means even more than the people back then in Ezra, we have reason to rejoice. Whatever our circumstances, whatever trials we face at the moment, we can still sing to the Lord with thanksgiving and praise. We can say again and again that God is good, that his love endures forever. We can do that because of Jesus. It is in Jesus that we experience and enjoy the presence of God every minute of every day. And so it's because of Jesus that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in the Lord always. But as we rejoice, we do so with the right perspective. Like the people in Ezra, we recognize that well, that we're not there yet. We understand that there are still things in this world that will cause us to weep. There are still things in life that will cause us to worry. And that it will be like that until the day Christ returns. You see, as amazing and as wonderful as it is for us to know Jesus now, as Christians, we mustn't forget that we we long for the day when we get to see him face to face. We long for the day when we will know him fully. And so the Christian life, it's a life of joy and sorrow. A life of rejoicing and longing. A life of now and not yet. And I know that, that all of us will, will lean one way more than the other, won't we? our personality, our, our upbringing, our church background, it'll all have an effect on the way that we feel about life in this world. But, but whatever our, our tendency, Ezra 3 reminds us that the Christian life is not one or the other. It's both. It's a life where we feel this tension between the now and the not yet, the, the joy and the sorrow of life in this world. But even as I say that, we, we finally need to remember that one day that tension will be gone. One day that tension will disappear. One day all weeping and sadness 
will be gone, pain and sorrow will cease, and all that will be left is joy. Joy as we live in the presence of God forever. And so that is our hope, isn't it? That is, that's what we long for as God's people. The day when we will experience God fully and finally forever. And until then, well, until then we need to pray. We need to pray that we would live life now with the right priorities. And we need to pray that God would help us to keep the right perspective. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that, that he completely changes our priorities and our perspective in this life. Father, please help us uh, to have him at the centre, have him uh, as our focus, our vision, our priority uh, for this next year. Help us to do that even today, Father. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to rejoice in all that we have and experience in him. And then to long for that day when we see him face to face, we pray. Amen.